book of Ezra and chapter 9. And we're going to read a few verses uh, together later on. Just leave your Bible open there, uh, please, when you find the place. Ezra chapter 9. And then we're just going to bow together for a brief word of, of prayer uh, again this morning. Father, we bow in thy presence again today. And we just thank you, Lord, for this gathering here this morning. And Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that the Holy Spirit will come and that he will open our understanding to the things of God. And Father, we just pray in these wonderful moments that we have together that you will come and minister to our hearts. We pray that you would remove every distraction from us. We pray even for the little ones this morning that you will, Lord, settle them in your presence. And we pray even this morning that the Spirit of God would give us ears to hear what you indeed would have to say to us. And so, Lord, I need your help this morning. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And Father, I take thee this morning as my help. And I pray, Lord, for that fresh anointing and that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Praying, Lord, that your word would come with clarity and with power. We pray for that anointing this morning that will break the yoke. And we thank you, Lord, this morning for that person of the Holy Spirit. And we invite him to come this morning and take full dominion over this meeting that he would move and breathe and brood and have his way in all that would be said and done. And Lord, at this meeting this morning, oh God, would be an unusual meeting today. And so Lord, we give ourselves to thee and ask now that you will come and bless us and help us in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. On the 14th of April, 1865, in Washington, D.C., in one of the balconies of what was known then as Ford's Theater, there was sitting a man. He was a well-known man. He was a lawyer. He was a statesman. He happened to be the 16th president of America. His name was Abraham Lincoln. As he and his wife sat on that balcony on that evening, watching one of the famous comedies of the day, at a quarter past ten in the evening, there was a man by the name of John Booth. He climbed the steps in the back of the theater and came to the balcony where Lincoln was sitting. He pulled back the curtain that was behind the president. And reaching into his breast pocket, he pulled out a 44 caliber pistol. And while the crowd was laughing and enjoying themselves in that comedy, and while even the president himself was laughing, John Booth brought the, the butt of that pistol two inches from the head of the president. And then he pulled the trigger. That crowd that was laughing and that crowd that was taken up with enjoyment and pleasure, all of a sudden, there came a silence. And what happened was that shot that went into the head of Lincoln later was going to take him in a few hours out into eternity. 
There was a physician who was in the theater that night, and after hearing the shot, he ran from his seat and went up into the balcony where Lincoln was lying in a pool of blood. One of the newspaper reporters said to him on that occasion, he said, My dear man, how is it with the president? What is his end going to be? That doctor made a statement that went round the world within 24 hours. He turned to that newspaper reporter and he said these wonderful words. He said, condition is considered hopeless. That was the newspaper headlines all around the world the next day. Lincoln shot condition considered hopeless. That very same statement that was made over Abraham Lincoln in 1865 would be a very fitting title to pen over the people of God here in the book of Ezra. Condition considered hopeless. Now, I don't know if you know much about the history of the children of Israel, but let me give you a brief outline just for a moment to paint the picture for you. You remember how they came into the promised land and there they came into the land that was flowing with milk, milk and honey. And because of their departure and because of their disobedience, they were carried away finally down into Babylon under the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And for 70 long years they were there. They were languishing in their defeat and in their bondage. They could sing as they did sing in Psalm 137. We sat down by the rivers of Babylon and we wept when we remembered they had hung their harp upon the willow and they said, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? And then after 70 years under the prophecy of Jeremiah and under the hand of King Cyrus, the king of Persia, there came a little band of people out of Babylon. They came as a little remnant and they came back into the land of Judea and they came back to Jerusalem and Cyrus the king of Persia gave them one task to do and that was to rebuild the house of God. And they came back, this little remnant of the people of God, and they came to build the house of God and they did do that. After much discouragement and after much attacks of the enemy they came and they they built the house of God and what a wonderful day that was then 58 years later another wave of migrants came from Babylon under the hand of Ezra they came back again to my the city of Jerusalem and here they come, and they come singing, and they come rejoicing. And I'm sure as they came towards Jerusalem, although the walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire, there they could see the, the temple standing that the, the first wave of, of, the, of, the, of the remnant had rebuilt. And they come back to Jerusalem. I can tell you, and Ezra said, it was a little time of revival. They had revival in their heart. They had come out of Babylon. They had come from the place of bondage. They had come from the place of tyranny. They had come back now to their first love. And they come to the house of God. And I'm sure there was worship. I'm sure there was praise. I'm sure, my, they were ecstatic with joy, with the blessing of God upon them. The Lord gave them a little revival. Now it is in that setting, I want you to cast your eye to verse 1 of chapter 9. 
At that very time, whenever there was a breath of revival, whenever at that very time they had come back to the house of God, they had come out from their bondage and from their slavery, they come back now towards Jerusalem and they see the altar and they see the temple and how what a wonderful time it must have been. In verse 1 of chapter 9 it says, Now, at that very moment, at that moment of joy, in that moment of blessing, it says, Now when these things were done, the princes came to me, that's Ezra, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the, the Peruzites and the Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Egyptians, and the Amorites, for they have taken their daughters for themselves, for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. I can tell you what was happening here as the words of Charles Dickinson would ring in our ears this morning. We would be able to say with Ezra, it was the best of times, and yet it turned to be the worst of times. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you can say, Stephen, that's exactly what's happening in my life. I'm really having the best of times, and yet there's a situation in my life and in my heart that no one else knows anything about, and yet it is the worst of times. I hear the people of God, they, they come back to the temple, they come back to worship the Lord, they come with the Levites and the priests, and you know, they discover that because of this sin of taking the, the, the women from these ungodly nations, they have polluted the seed. And all of the work of the temple, all of the wonderful structure that is built there, my, it is of no avail. They're not in the place to utilize, my, the, the blessing of God. They're no longer in the place where they can enjoy this wonderful revival. Look at verse 3, what happened whenever Ezra heard this. He said, and when I heard the, this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and I plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard, and I sat down a stony. Look at verse 5. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garments and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and I spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. And from verse 6 to the end of the chapter, my Ezra starts to pour out his heart. He says in verse 6, Oh, my God. Verse 10, Oh, our God. Look at verse 15. Oh, Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. For we remain yet escaped as in this day. Behold, we are before thee in our transgression. For we cannot stand before thee because of this thing. My, I can tell you, you know what was happening here? There's this epitaph that was penned over the, those last moments of Abraham Lincoln. Now could be penned over the children of Israel. They're back in the land. They're back to the house of God. They're back with the Levites and the priests. But because there's defilement among them, my, the condition is considered hopeless. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Now when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down, before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation 
of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. It was the best of times, and yet it was the worst of times. And I'm sure maybe even people in that congregation said to themselves, my, we're back at the house of God, but there's no use in us being here. We can't worship the Lord. We can't serve him the way that he desires us to do. We have been disqualified from blessing. Condition considered hopeless. And then God had his man. Thank God for that. At that very moment, whenever the best of times was turned to the very worst of times, God had a man, he had a vessel that was set apart, he was sanctified and meet for the master's use. He's a man that you probably this morning have maybe never even heard his name. And I'm going to lift a few words out from this man's sermon because we never read of him speaking, but here in this chapter, and he preaches a sermon, one sermon, 97 words, and it takes 33 seconds to preach it. 97 words. 33 seconds. And there's a man that stands on the pivot of the nation. As they wallow in their condition, they're back in the house of God. They have come from their bondage and now they discover that there's sin in their heart and they are disqualified from serving God. And they weep and they cry and they say to themselves, my, what even is the use? Do you ever pray like that? Do you ever say, Lord, wonder what is the use? Why is it, Lord, that when we get one thing sorted out, there's another thing? And that's what was happening here. Now I want you to cast your eye to verse 2. And here we find this man, this man that God had set apart, who had a word in season for Ezra and for the children of Israel. It says, Anne Sekaniah, that's his name. And I can tell you something about this man this morning. He was a godly man. He was marked by godliness. He was a man that other people knew that he was in touch with God. And would to God that others would be able to say that about you and I, that men and women would be able to say he or she is a man or woman that is marked by godliness. You say to me, Stephen, how do you know that? Well, his name, Zechariah, you know what it means? It means one that dwelleth with Jehovah. Here was a man that lived in Psalm 91 and verse 1, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And at the very point of need, at the very desperation of the nation, God had his man that was hidden away, and he comes with 97 words, 33 seconds, and he turns the whole destiny of the nation. And I say to you, my dear believer, this morning, you may never stand in a pulpit. You may never stand in the open air. God may never thrust you out to Africa to be a missionary, but oh, I can tell you, you can prepare. You can be an arrow in the quiver of God that at that very moment you have a word in season from the Lord, whether it's for the nation, whether it's for a family, whether it's for some situation, you can say, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, and here was a man, second eye, he was, a, he was an arrow in the quiver. He was one that dwelt with God. He was one that not merely just sang about God. He was one that not merely just read about God. He was not just what merely served God. But my, he falls into that wonderful category of Daniel eleven thirty two. They that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And here was a man that knew him. 
Here was a man that knew the heart of God. Here was a man that was intimate. He dwelt with Jehovah. He was walking in the presence of God. You know, he was brought up in a godly family. Look at his father's name. It says Zechariah, the son of Jael. And that means there, that's a wonderful name that his father had. It really means God is a living God. And here's a young man that was brought up on his father's knee. And I think his father, Jael, must have said to Zechariah, he must have taken him on his knee and said, My boy, let me tell you this. No matter how dark the situation is, no matter what the trial may be, no matter how great the storm is, let me tell you, my dear man, that God is a living God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is alive this morning. He's still on the throne. He can be nowhere else. He's in, in control today. His grandfather's name is the name of Elam. And that means God is eternal. God is always the same. Yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is the same. All may change. Oh, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Here he stands. And I'll say this morning, he not only was a godly man, he was a very gracious man. Look at verse 2 again. And he says in Zechariah, the son of Jael, one of the sons of Elam answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God. And you know, this man didn't do the sins that the other people did do. He's not listed. And if you read at the end of this chapter, God gives a list of the names of men that took women from the other nations for their wives. But this man didn't do it. But he stands in front of Ezra and in front of God, and this is what he said, We have trespassed. He didn't point the finger at other people. He didn't say, Ezra, he did it, and he did it, and that man over there did it. He said, no, Ezra, we all did it. We're just as bad as one another. And that's a wonderful way to look at the people of God. Because I can tell you, my dear people, we're in this battle together. We're in the fight together. And we need one another. And here is a man. He was a godly man. He was a gracious man. Lastly, he was a courageous man. Here he comes out of the woodwork. And I want you to see it this morning. My thousands of people, almost half a million of them standing in Jerusalem. And they're seeing the second temple that was built. They see the altar and the glory. And my, they're weeping. The children are crying. They've been standing from morning to evening and they're weeping at their condition. And here's a man, he straightens his shoulders and he lifts his voice and he says, Oh, I can tell you, listen to your text this morning. This is the text from God to, to your heart. Five words from this sermon, 97 words, just five words this morning. Yet now there is hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And here's a man, my, in much midst the crying and the weeping. Ezra had pulled the very hairs from his beard. He had plucked the very hairs from his head. And Zechariah, this man that dwelt with God, he lived in the presence of God. He was so intimate with God. He stands and he says, look, we have sinned against the Lord by taking strange wives. And then he puts this lovely little word, yet now there is Hope, hallelujah. You know, the poet put it like this, how it is isn't always how it seems. And here was people and they, they seemed to be in a condition that was considered hopeless. 
Oh, we're defiled and we're disqualified. What can we do? What use is there? Maybe even some of them thought about going back to Babylon. And here was this man. Oh, I can tell you he stands. I would love to have heard it. And he just speaks for 33 seconds. And he says five wonderful words in the midst of his sermon. Yet now (laughs) there's hope. And if you could only grasp all those five words this morning, oh, I can tell you, whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, whatever your battle, here's a man that's unknown by the world, a man that comes out of the woodwork, and he not only gave a word in season to the children of Israel, but he has a word in season for you and I tonight, or this morning, dear mother, father, young person, yet now there is hope. And you can clutch that with your both hands this morning. You see that wee word, yet? It speaks about a turning. He says we have taken strange wives and we have sinned against the Lord. And then he just puts in a full stop and he says, yet. Yet. It speaks about a turning in the text. You remember what David said. David said, I have been young and now I am old. Yet. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. You remember what Paul said whenever he was writing to the believers at Rome. With all of his theology, he said this, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Isaiah 53, you'll get it. Yet he was, my, he was bruised. Yet he was Please the Lord to bruise him and to crush him. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. Yet now there's hope. And that's a turning. And whatever your circumstance is this morning, and whatever the storm is, and whatever the trial is, thank God the tide can turn. Whenever the Marshall, that young woman, William Boo's daughter, went to Paris, she went on her own at 17 years of age. She went down into the slums of Paris. And she wrote back to her father a number of months later. She said, my dear father, their hearts are hard. They laugh at the gospel. There seems to be no move of God in the land. And William Boo just sent back a telegram to his daughter. My dear, hold on. The tide soon turns. The tide soon turns. And here there's a turning. Yet now there is hope. There's not only a turning here. Look at it again, these five words as we come down. Yet now there's a timing here. And my dear people, God always has a perfect timing. And we've been singing it here every Wednesday night. Come this Wednesday night and sing it with us. We sing it every Wednesday night before our brother Bertie preaches. My times are in his hands. My God, I leave them there. That's the answer. My life, my family, my all, I leave entirely to thy care. There's a timing here. The word is now. And my dear people, I want to tell you that's a, that's a wonderful word. At any moment, the tide can turn. The tide of blessing can turn now. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Paul said, there is therefore now no, no, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. 
Now, quickly, there's not only the timing here, there's a tense here. He says, yet now there is. Not that there was. Not that there will be. He said there is. Yet now there is hope. Hallelujah. And if I could rub that into your mind this morning, yet there's hope. Because there's not only a timing here and there's not only a tense here. I'll tell you there's a truth that you and I in this day and age in which we live, we would need to lay hold of it. Yet now there is hope. And that's a wonderful truth. That you and I in the pe- as a people of God, we have an anchor that keeps the soul. That is both steadfast and sure. You see that word hope there? It's a word for an oasis. And as you see men and women, one eye and their, their camels and they're coming through the wilderness and they come to that place of hopelessness. They have no water there, maybe at the very point of death and maybe one of the scouts would rise a sand dune and they would see in the distance an oasis and they used to cry the word hope. There's hope, hallelujah. There's hope. It's a word for a line. It's a word for a piece of string. The word that we would use today as a lifeline. And as someone maybe is sinking in the sea and now they're drowning and the current of water is taking them, the lifeguard will come and they'll throw out the line, throw out the lifeline. And now that man or woman that is sinking, you know what they'll do? They'll lay hold of what the word is, hope. Hallelujah. Hope. Now, I want to say to you this morning, my dear people, the future for the Christian is very, very bright. Defeat is not a word that God has in his vocabulary. My dear people, I want to tell you, so often we can get a spirit of defeatism into our heart. Oh, no one's getting saved. My, the churches are dying and society is getting worse and worse and see all of the immorality and LGBT and Q and on and on we could go. Suicide and one thing after another. But oh, my dear people, bring God into the equation and that drastically changes things. It brings hope. And the Bible says, yet now there is hope. I'll tell you, whenever David went down into the valley of Elah, and there the children of Israel were scattered upon the hills, and Goliath would come out in the morning and in the evening, and he would defy the armies of God. And my, whenever young David, that stripling, went down to the valley to see how his brothers were doing, and Goliath came out, my, the condition, it seemed hopeless. Everyone was afraid. Saul was afraid. The army was afraid. And here was a young man. He went down to the brook and lifted five stones and put them into his shepherd's bag. He had a staff in his hand and he went towards the giant and he put the little stone into the sling. And maybe even the army of Israel was still shouting, David, it's hopeless. You'll never do it. And this is what David said. This is not my battle. It's the Lord's. And he got the little stone in the sling and my, he he took down the giant and the tide was turned. The tide was turned. You remember the young servant of Elisha. Whenever he woke in the morning in 2 Kings chapter 4, and he woke in the morning and there he looked out and he saw the hills were covered with the Syrian army. And I, he saw the horses and their chariots, and I think he must have went to Elisha, and he must have shook him. And he says, my dear, my master, get up, my, 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 the enemy has come. You'll need to get up. We'll need to run. And 
Elisha turns to his young servant and he says, My dear man, there's more of us than there is of them. The condition is not considered hopeless yet yet. And you remember how he prayed and his eyes were opened and he saw, my, that wonderful sight, the, the chariots of the Lord's host were encamped all around. And so it is even today, my dear people. I was praying another morning and this is what the Lord just shot into my mind. There's no burial plot for the church. Not at all. There's no headstone for the church of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I can tell you this is what the Lord Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. And forward still, tis Jehovah's will, whenever those 110 individuals came out of the upper room in the day of Pentecost, my, with the superiority of the Roman Empire, with all of the immorality and sexual the perversion of the nation, and they come out of the upper room, 110 men and women filled with the Holy Ghost, their condition had seemed hopeless, and in 30 years they turned the world upside down, they seen 3,000 souls saved on the one day because they brought God into the equation. Ah, hallelujah. Praise God this morning that there's hope. Now, there's hope for three individuals here today. There's hope this morning for the soul that is perishing. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved and you say, well, Stephen, I've really done things that I, I don't think God could save me, yet now there's hope. You think of the demonic of Gadara. No one wanted anything to do with him. He cut himself with stones. They tried to tame him. They tried to chain him and they couldn't do it. And his condition was considered hopeless. And there came a day when the lowly Nazarene stepped off the boat onto the shore and he turned the whole situation around. Hallelujah. Oh, what about the Philippian jailer? He was about to commit suicide and his condition was considered hopeless. He had nothing more to live for. And as he put the point of that dagger to his breast, my, there was a cry from the inner prison. You don't know how the Lord broke into his family and not only saved him, saved his wife and all of his children. What about Saul of Tarsus? As he was going down the Damascus road, breathing out threatenings and slaughter, suddenly there was an intervention from heaven and the condition that seemed to be hopeless, God turned it all around. Someone must have been praying. Someone must have been crying for this man, Saul of Tarsus, and said, Oh God, you'll need to save him, Lord. You'll need to break through in his life. And others maybe said, oh, That man's too hard for God. And just in a moment, God intervened. That's the very same thing that happened with me. My, my condition was considered hopeless. And the world had me and the devil had a grip of me. And my, my life was ruined by sin and on and on we could go. But oh, thank God that there's hope this morning. Thank God that there's one that is able to save the soul and break the chains and cleanse and wash and keep. And if you're a parent here this morning praying for a child, keep praying. For yet now there is hope. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not saved. And you say, oh, I'm ashamed of the things that I have done. You say, I've done things in my life. Oh, I'm afraid even to bring them out into the open. Oh, my dear people, thank God, no matter how dark the stains may be, no matter how great the chains are, oh, thank God that there's hope. You know, whenever we were driving over this morning, Emily started to sing. You know what she started to sing? She said, Mommy, praise God, my shackles are gone. Hallelujah. <laughs> shackles gone. <laughs> The whole way from Cookstown to Dungannon, shackles gone, Daddy. Praise God, shackles gone. Oh, my dear believer, this morning, if you're saved, thank God we can say, my shackles are gone. 
My spirit is free. Oh, praise the Lord, he lifted me. Come along next Sunday night and you'll hear a story. My, there was people that had penned over Pat's life condition, considered hopeless, but then God came into the equation. And oh, I can tell you, he can do wonderful things. He can do wonderful things. And if you're not saved here this morning, yet now there is hope. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but oh, holy lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sunken sand. I can tell you whenever we go down into Junction 13, there's hope. I can tell you whether they're homosexuals, whether they're murderers, whether they're ungodly, I tell you we've got the answer. I'm glad that they can come in as sinners that are deep dyed and they can rise and go out of the tent. Men and women that are born again and washed in the precious blood have a new song in their heart, even praise unto our God. He still can do it, my dear people. He still can do it. Yet now there is hope. There's hope for the soul that is perishing. There's hope for the saint that is struggling. Are you struggling this morning? And maybe you can look back to that moment in your life and you say, I know I'm born again. Praise God. And you know that your sins are forgiven and you know that you've been brought into that living relationship with God. And yet this morning you're struggling. You're finding the hills hard to climb. You're finding the burdens hard to carry. This is what Job said. He said, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and I spend them as a man without having hope. And there's hope in the storm this morning. My, whenever Paul was in Acts chapter 27 and he was out in the midst of the Mediterranean and for 14 days and nights they never saw the sun or the moon or the stars. And the Bible says that all hope that we should be saved was taken away. My, they were in a situation that was considered hopeless. And maybe even some people in that boat had just resolved in their heart that this is, a, this is the end and this is how we're going to finish up. This storm is going to kill us. But that very night, the angel of the Lord stood beside Paul and he said, fear not. And Paul could stand on that deck of that ship and he says, my dear man, I believe God. There's hope. Hallelujah. There's hope. Hope not only in the storms. But what about the circumstances? What circumstances are you in this morning? You remember there was a young man that God had his hand upon. And God had given him promises. And God had something for him. And it all seemed to go wrong. And that young man, Joseph, he was betrayed and sold by his brothers. And he went down into Potiphar's house and there my Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And because he took his stand for God, he was put into a prison. And the butler forgot about him. And there the word of God says that the word of the Lord tried him. They were dark days. They were difficult days. And just in one moment of time, Joseph was brought from the prison and he was set upon the throne. He, he was brought from the rags and he was put into robes. And my, that condition that was considered hopeless just in one moment of time, God turned the whole thing around. And what I'm trying to do, my dear people, this morning is say this to your heart. If he could do it for them, he can do it for you. 
And whenever the three boys were put into the fire, the condition had seemed to be hopeless. The very men that put them in were killed with the, the intensity of the heat. And here these three Hebrew boys that just took their stand for God, they fell down into the furnace, but then God came into the equation. And the Lord Jesus Christ walked in the midst of the fire. And my, they didn't even have the smell of smoke upon them. Hallelujah. Yet now there's hope. And I want to say, my dear parents, this morning there's hope. There's hope. It says of Abraham that against hope, he believed in hope. And if you're mentally wore out this morning, I can tell you there's hope. The psalmist said, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God. And maybe there's marriages on the rocks this morning. And maybe there's contention in the home. Yet now there's hope. And maybe your health is breaking. And maybe you're struggling with the finances. And all hell seems to have turned against you. And you could say, my, the best of times have turned to the worst of times. Yet, my dear people, now there is hope. And here's a little poem as we come to a close this morning for some of you that are praying for children that are even in this meeting this morning. And my dear young people, if you die and go to a lost eternity, it'll not be because nobody prayed for you. And here's a word to your heart, my dear parent. Unanswered yet, the prayers your lips have pleaded. In agony of heart these many years, does faith begin to fail? Is hope departing? And thank you all in vain, those falling tears. Say not the Father has not heard my prayer. My, you shall have your desire sometime, somewhere. Unanswered yet, though when you first presented this one petition before your Father's throne, it seemed you could not wait the time of asking, so urgent was your heart to make it known. Though years have passed and saying, do not despair, the Lord will answer you sometime, hallelujah, somewhere. Unanswered yet, nay, do not say ungranted. Perhaps your part is not yet wholly done. The work began when first your prayer was uttered, and God will finish that which he has begun. If you will keep the incense burning there, oh, you shall have your answer sometime, somewhere. Hallelujah. Yet now, yet now there's hope. Hope in the storm. Hope in the circumstances. Hope maybe even this morning with some sin in your life and sin has crept in and something has laid hold of you and there's shame and there's guilt. Oh, would to God that you would rise at your feet and sing like little Emily Riddle at two and a half years of age. Praise God. <laughs> Shackles gone. <laughs> Shackles gone. You know, there's not only hope this morning. There's not only hope for the sinner that is perishing. And there's not only hope this morning for the saint that is struggling. Thank God this morning there's hope for, for a nation that is crumbling. Because down here at the hill, the river, and the valley, thank God there's a little remnant of people. And we believe that God is the God of revival. 
We believe that no matter how dark the night and no matter how strong the grip of the enemy may be, oh, thank God we can call the Lord into the battle. Thank God, no matter how deep and how dark the circumstances may be, no matter who's in control, no matter what politicians are on the throne, thank God the Lord in the moment can turn the tide. And the Bible says, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in the high places and fountains in the valleys, and I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land a spring of water. And he can turn, my dear people, these 32 counties of Ireland. He can come in revival blessing. He can come, my dear people, in the breath of God. At Junction 13 can begin to blow. That the power of God is released. That there's an anointing. That there's a, oh, a breaking through into the devil's domain that we have never seen in this or day and generation. But, oh, thank God there's a man with five words. He says, now there's hope. Hallelujah. You say, Stephen, did it ever happen before? It did happen. And you remember Ezekiel, he came and read about it whenever you go home. Ezekiel 37, he went down into the valley of dry bones and he was speaking of the nation. And it says there that they had lost all hope. The enemy had come in. The glory was gone. The power was gone. The vision was gone. And the Lord said to Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? And the the prophet said, thou knowest, Lord. And he started to prophesy and how, my, the bone came to bone, an impossible situation. My, the very right bone was brought to the other bone. And then the the sinew came, and then the flesh came, and then the skin came. And my, he, he stood again in that valley, and he said, oh, breath of the Lord, come from the four winds. And the breath of God came, and the Bible says they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Hallelujah. Yet now there's hope. Yet now there's hope. And here's a man I can tell you so many years ago standing before Ezra and the people. And he says, my dear people, it's always darkest before the dawn. There's a turning coming. There's a timing that is coming. And I want us to stand to sing this morning as we go home because if there ever is a reason for hope, look at the cross. And there the Lord Jesus, my, with the crown of thorns upon his head. And there with his visage so marred more than any man. And there his back like a ploughed field. You know what you could append over the whole thing. Condition considered hopeless. Oh, but bring God into the equation. And on the third day he rose again and he defeated death and hell and sin in the grave. And because he lives we can face tomorrow. Oh, thank God there's hope this morning. Hope of being saved. Hope of being helped. Hope of being revived. And I want us to stand and we're going to sing now and then our meeting is over and it'll come up on the screen. There's more of us than there be with them. We're on the winning side with banners unfurled. Oh, we'll tell all the world that Jesus is captain and guide. There's not the fear while he is near. Though fierce the conflict may be, for we'll never give in in the fight against sin. For in Christ, there's victory. And no matter what your circumstances this morning, you'll need to put your hope in the Lord. You'll need to get into the Word of God. And if there's sin, repent of it. And if you need to be restored, get restored. And if there's things you need to do, do them. But my dear people, push on. Don't let the devil tell you it's over. Don't let him tell you it's finished. Yet now, 
There is hope.